You're listening to Sidewalk Confessionals. My name is Jeremy, and today I'm going to read you guys the story that I said I was writing uh, in last episode. Um, so if you guys didn't listen to that episode, I basically was going to read this story, but it wasn't finished. And instead of like, uh, you know, just writing enough to leave you guys like on a cliffhanger and put it into new parts, it's not even a full a four-page story, so there wasn't any point in doing that. So since it wasn't finished, um. I actually can't even remember what I talked about instead, but today we are going to read this story. Why is it that the things you want the most seem the farthest away? Why is it that the things we think we need turn out being the things we need least? We live our lives thinking we know the answers to our questions, only to be proven wrong. But maybe that's the point. My name is Hiro Hagane. Good night, everyone. Ask existential question, close out show, cut to commercial. The listener at home is left pondering their life while I walk out of the studio and down to the coffee shop on the corner for my third cup today. As I walk through the streets of Andale, I'm surrounded by posters and television ads supporting the war effort. There are recruiters handing out flyers on every corner, shouting things like, Help win the war! And do your part to usher in the new age! And this is for our families! That last one stings a little. My name is, in fact, Hiro Hagane, and I'm the host of the increasingly popular radio talk show, Midnight Therapy, a show that I absolutely hate. For starters, I'm not even a licensed therapist or whatever, I just read whatever's on the pieces of papers in front of me and do my best to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Secondly, I didn't want to be the host of that show in the first place. I wanted to host my network's show about disaster relief efforts on the border. I'm a journalist by trade, after all, and I think I'd have been a much better host of a show where I actually knew what the fuck I was talking about. But the fans don't seem to mind, and more importantly, neither do the people who sign my paychecks. The war between Nesmeret, my country, and the islands of Oki has been going on for close to 10 years now, and has left endless devastation in its wake, and countless families homeless and separated. Both countries are quickly running out of money and resources to help refugees and sustain their armies, and they've started shutting down what they see as non-essential functions of their respective governments to offset costs. It's nothing short of a shit show, and to make matters worse, it's nothing more than an international feud between leaders on opposite sides of a coin that shouldn't exist in the first place. Here's a little history lesson for you. Nesmeret and the islands of Oki used to be one nation, Nesmeret, controlled by the same government hundreds of years ago. They mutually decided to become different nations when high-ranking leaders realized the nation was becoming too big to sustain, and so it was that Nesmeret's island and continental regions would keep the same names but establish separate governing bodies. Fast forward 493 years, the islands have retained much of their traditionalism and have been resistant to the changes of the rest of the world. Nesmeret, on the other hand, has seen massive technological and socioeconomic progress since the country's divide. That hadn't, however, been an issue until 10 years ago when both countries elected their new leaders into office. Nesmeret's new leader, an outsider named Gerald Holt, wants to usher in a new era of technological advancement in an attempt to bring the world's nations closer together. Which sounds great, until you realize he also wants to strip Okeans of their traditions, stating that they're the very thing holding Oki back from modernization. On the flip side, Oki's new leader, Ginjiro Haru, wants to maintain his nation's traditional ways. He believes that the ways of the past are important and fears they'll be forgotten if he allows his country to modernize. These new leaders and their respective subordinates are so diametrically opposed that they can't seem to see the flaws in their own arguments. 
Even the most casual observer can see that there's merit to both arguments, and most of the residents of both nations concur. I'm of the same opinion, that there's much room here for negotiation and compromise, or at least there was, before Holt declared war on the Okeans and bombed some 14 coastal towns. Ginjiro Haru responded by declaring a state of emergency in Oki, thus essentially giving him free reign until the end of the war with Nesmeret. Gerald Holt's actions against Oki came as a huge surprise to the masses on both sides, as there was no previous talk of war, or even so much as a threat toward Oki or its new leader. One day we were at peace, the next day we were at war. And I, like so many others, have felt the effects of this politically driven war firsthand. Nine years ago, I lived in Manada, a small port city on the coast of Nesmerit, just south of the Manada Strait, where much of the ocean-based fighting thus far has taken place. Manada and most of the surrounding cities are nothing more than smoldering rubble today, and buried somewhere in all that bullshit is my family. I would have died with them if I hadn't been in the big inland city of Andale, auditioning to be the host of The Evening Report, a new show on Andale's major network. So now you're caught up. I'm a journalist who hosts a show about therapy, who lost his family in a war that started 10 years ago by radical government officials who think fighting is the only way to solve their differences. But tomorrow, I'm leaving my job as a talk show host. In fact, that first bit you heard was my last episode of Midnight Therapy. Tomorrow, I'm traveling by way of bus, 450 kilometers west, to meet up with a convoy in an area now called Fort Minata. What's up to the town I once called home has been turned into one of the largest temporary military installments along the Nesmerit coast. It's also the site of some of the most intense fighting in the war, and it's the only place journalists can go to get first-hand reports on how war is affecting military forces and how they're dealing with the masses of refugees. My mission, on paper at least, is to gather information on how the war is being fought on the front lines. My real mission, my personal mission that is, is to leave the fort and hike into Manada to find what's left of my home. I don't know what I'm expecting to find after almost 10 years, but there's a part of me that I know will never be satisfied until I see the destruction for myself. I'm standing at the bus stop with about 20 recruits, young men who tell me they've never seen war, never been this close to active combat. I'm in the same boat, and I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't terrified. There's no guarantee I'm going to make it out of here alive. Maybe I don't want to. But at any rate, being surrounded by 20 guys half my age with loaded weapons who've never been in actual combat doesn't exactly make me feel good about my chances. About an hour into the ride, one of the men across the aisle from me speaks up. You a journalist or something? He asks, speaking loudly over the noise of the bus. Of sorts, I'm here to see what it's like on the front lines, I reply coolly. I'm freaking out inside. My brother was a journalist. He died a few years back on the front lines in Ypres. Immediately following that comment, there's an explosion of scolding interjections from others on the bus. Then a man in the front stands and begins speaking. Private, need I remind you to keep your mouth shut next time one of those dumbass thoughts floats its way through your head? Nobody, especially not a civilian, is going to die on this mission. We have orders to keep Mr. Hagane here safe and provide aid to the refugees near Manada. There hasn't been active combat in the area we're headed to in... The man's words are cut off, as the Humvee in front of the bus is launched into the air with a deafening bang. The shock from the blast was enough to break a good portion of the windows, including the one by my seat. As I look around, I see men running out of the bus, and I can hear gunfire coming from only a few meters away. I begin to move from my seat into the aisle of the bus, but I'm stopped by the private who was talking to me earlier. Are you okay? He asks, once again speaking loudly, but this time over the sound of pops and bangs from all around us. I nod my confirmation. 
Okay, listen. We're the only ones still on this bus, so we need to move now. Stay behind me, stay close, and keep your head the fuck down, you understand? I nod again, unable to find my voice. Okay, let's go. He turns and begins to walk down the aisle and out of the bus, and, per his instructions, I'm close enough behind to read the label on the collar of his shirt. Once outside the bus, we run to a group of men huddled behind a Humvee on its side. I recognize one of them as the man who stood and scolded the private, and reassured me that nothing bad would happen. So much for that. He begins giving orders. On my mark, we're going to move to that building on the right side of the street. He points to a small brick building that used to have a glass front. Now all that remains is a bullet hole ridden shell. Once we're there, Montez, I want you to take Mr. Hagane to the backmost wall and keep him safe. Mr. Hagane, do you know how to use one of these? He holds out a rifle that looks the same as the ones the others are carrying. Yes, I reply confidently. As a boy, and for much of my adult life thus far, I've always been around guns, and I dare say I'm a pretty damn good shot. Though I haven't fired a rifle in quite some time, I remember the basics. Lean into the stock, exhale, squeeze the trigger. Though I don't think I'm going to have time for all of that in this instance. Good enough for me, he hands me the rifle. Only use that if you absolutely have to. The less bullets flying around here, the better. Okay. On my mark. Ready. Move! The instant the words leave his mouth, we move as one, quickly navigating the 50 meters to the building. As we run, however, I feel a piercing impact on my chest, and the world around me grows darker. I try to take another step, but as I move my feet, the road seems to shift and I fall to the ground. Milliseconds later, with the pain of my head hitting the asphalt ringing in my ears, I sit up in bed with a jolt. Drenched in sweat and breathing heavily, I look around and find Matt sitting next to me, holding my arm. Brandon, it's okay. You just had another nightmare, he reassures me. There's evident concern in his gaze. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another nightmare. That one felt real. Like I was actually there. Alright guys, so that was the story that took me how long to write? Two weeks? Three weeks? This is this is how bad, this is how terrible my writer's block is. And how how inconsistent of a writer I am. That's why it took me so long to write, or it's been taking me so long to write the second chapter of the book. Um, but it is coming shortly, and then the third chapter, and then the fourth, and then the fifth, and maybe at some point uh, I'll have an entire book. So yeah, I think, I think that's it. That did not take anywhere near as long to record uh as i thought it would um it might be because i was speaking quickly i don't know i get like every time i read one of those stories i get nervous i'm like i'm i shouldn't there's no one in this room i'm like i'm sitting i'm sitting in a room with a camera in front of me and a microphone my computer is off to the side and i'm just recording and watching the waveform appear on the little track in audition like that that's what's happening and i have the pieces of paper that have the story on them uh in front of me there's no reason to be nervous but every time i record one of these i'm like super super nervous the youtube channel for the podcast i just posted four videos so that's episodes 19 20 21 and 22 um I just posted those, so next week, this episode will be posted on the YouTube channel. The video portion of this episode will be posted on the YouTube channel, so I'm going to make it a week behind. So, 
I'll record, I'll post the audio portion of the podcast on my website, and then it'll, you know, go to all its other places. Um, and then after that, I will edit the video part because the video part takes a little bit longer to edit. Um, and I will post that on the YouTube channel. But there are four new videos on the YouTube channel, so if you've been wanting to listen to the podcast or watch it on YouTube instead of on my website or on any of the other places, you can now go do that. It is completely up to date, so episodes 14 through 21. 21? 22? What are we on? This is episode 22. So yeah, episodes 14 through 21 are on the YouTube channel right now. Um, Also, I have the audio files for episodes 1 through 13. Um, I just don't have any accompanying video for them. So let me know um, if you guys want to want me to just post like blank video like just a picture up or something um and upload those to youtube um because i don't want to go through the work of like creating all of those videos from just the audio file and then throwing a picture over it and then upload them all to youtube if i don't have to um so let me know if you want those up on youtube Go watch episode 21 on YouTube and put a comment in the comment section telling me if you want the other episodes, 1 through 13, uploaded to YouTube. There we go. All right. You've been listening to Sidewalk Confessionals. Happy listening and have a nice day.